As Tony said, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Sally uh, Clark. I'm part of the Chichester site here. Um, normally um, preoccupied with my kids. If I haven't seen you or you haven't seen me, it's because I'm busy making sure they're not causing mayhem somewhere. Um, okay, so... Oh, look, it's already up. Uh, so this morning, we're taking a break from our Exodus preaching series to start a kind of mini-series for the Christmas season. And as you can see, it's called Advent. Um, you might have noticed in your diary or your calendar, if it's the type of diary or calendar that says these things, that it's the first um, Sunday of Advent today. But I was telling my kids about that, and they were like, oh, so can we open our calendars now? Like, no, no, the cal- calendars are the first. You have to wait a bit longer, So, um, which I haven't quite understood. I did get my kids some Advent calendars. They've gone for lint this year, and I uh, thought I'd push the boat out, you know. And then I thought, what shall I get for myself? You know, what, what Advent calendar shall I get? And I thought, oh, oh, why bother? Let's just get a whole bag of these. So I got 24 of these. So uh, I didn't really, I'm joking. <laughs> but let's take a quick poll in the room. So Advent calendars... Pictures or chocolate? Hands up for chocolate. Chocolate in your advent calendars. A lot of hands. Joel is very adamant. <laughs> okay, and pictures. Oh, Simon, he's a traditionalist. So, <laughs> we've got a few pictures. Chocolate seems popular. How about anything else? Oh, we've got, <laughs> we've got a few around there. Yeah, other things to go in advent calendars. I won't ask what they are. But you'll be doing it every day for 24 days. <laughs> right. So, so basically, we're, um, we're looking at Advent. Now, traditionally, this uh, season, Christians focus on the first Advent. Now, Advent means coming. Um, it is about a season of waiting. And the first Advent, the first coming of Christ was as a baby um, to be born on earth. And that's traditionally what we tend to focus on um, as Christians. We focus on Christmas, the birth of Christ. But it can be hard to relate to that whole feeling of Advent, to waiting for something coming, uh, because we know he's he's already come to earth and uh, was born and became an adult and died on the cross. But we can actually kind of relate to that anticipation by thinking about the second coming of Jesus, when Jesus returns to wipe every tear um, from our eyes. And there's also the advent of Christ into our hearts. We can know something of, of Jesus, of his love and his joy in our hearts now, but there will come a time when actually that joy and love will be fully realized and we can celebrate that waiting for for that to happen, that coming, that it will happen. Over the next four weeks, we're going to cover hope, waiting, joy and love. Joy is going to be our Christmas service. Um, But this morning, as you can see, we are looking at hope. I really loved it in the contributions this morning when basically the whole of our worshipping contributions was the conclusion of this preach. So I probably don't even need to preach it. I can just go. But no, I won't. Um, uh, So hope. Let's have a look. Do you know what? Before I even knew that I was going to be preaching on hope, 
um, I was at home and I felt, I was just doing something at home and I suddenly felt this stirring of kind of God speaking prophetically and I felt him kind of sharing this burden of our sense of hope, of having our hope in the right things and I really, I felt it stirring and I was like, oh, oh, okay, God, okay, this could, you know, maybe this is a Sunday kind of contribution thing that's stirring. And then a couple of days later, um, I was told that the topic I would be preaching on is hope. I was like, ah, I think God really wants to nail or, or begin to nail that for us today that he is our ultimate hope. And that's what we saw in, and heard in the contributions this morning. And then... Um, I was going to go somewhere else with that, and I don't remember it was, so let's move on. <laughs> so what are you hoping for? We're talking about hope. What are you hoping for? What gives you hope? Is it hope of holidays? Is it the hope that the weather will be good and it won't rain? Is it the hope that you'll have a good night out? Is it the hope that you won't remember that night out? Is it the hope that other people won't remember your night out? Or are you hoping for family? Are you hoping for children or grandchildren? Are you hoping for a job, a promotion, for retirement? There can be all kinds of things that we are hoping for. And um, so we're going to kind of look at that today. But firstly, I want to bring us to our verses for today, uh, which is in Isaiah, which I think I have got here. So, if you want to turn to Isaiah, they're obviously up on the screen behind me. Isaiah 9, uh, we'll start at verse 2 and then we'll skip down to verses 6 and 7. So it says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And then down to verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with, with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen, Amen indeed. <laughs> okay, so the, these particular verses in, our, in Isaiah were directed towards God's people and were verses of hope. So Isaiah is um, referred to as one of the major prophets in the Old Testament, major because of the length of the book, not because of any importance. Um, and these and the prophets often had similar kind of messages in them. There was a call to repentance. There was a declaration of God's judgment, and then there was a hope for future reconciliation. And these themes um, kind of repeat throughout them. And these verses that we've just read um, were verses of hope. Let's pop that down there. And the the current situation for the people 
that Isaiah was prophesying to, God's people, was pretty dire and was set to get worse. So around the land of God's people, nations were rising up and invading others. We had Babylon and Assyria, um, countries that were of particular concern and had their eye on any vulnerable nations that they could take, including Israel and Judah, where God's people were residing, and and eventually they, they did take them. There was economic challenge um, around with the rich getting richer. There was a lack of concern for the poor. There was religious persecution and the rise of paganism. Any of this kind of sounding a little bit familiar to the times we're living in now? And along um, with a message of God's judgment, Isaiah also delivered a message of hope. There was a light coming. There was a king coming. There was a Messiah who was going to be born. God's people really needed to know that there was going that there was hope. This message of hope was so vital to them and without it there would have been no reason to cling to God's truth because there would have been nothing really to cling to without this hope. God's message could have been forgotten. People could have turned to their own way and um, whatever that was I mean, you know, why not just go along with the pagan rituals of your neighbour? I mean, at least they're fun to do and uh, give some amusement. It was uh, really hard living by God's law, so it's just easier just to forget about that. If there's no hope for the future, then why don't we just put aside all of this law business and just do what you want and please yourself and, and live how you'd like. God knew that his people needed hope for more than just what this life could offer them, that there'd be a resolution to the inability to keep the law, there'd be a resolution to these other nations that want to invade, that there would be freedom, justice, a closer relationship with their God. God's hope gives them something to hold on to, a promise for the future, so that they can see beyond the darkness, that it won't always be like this. And of course, from where we're standing... We know that that great hope is Jesus Christ. We can look back and and see who those verses point to. But but God's people didn't know what the fulfillment of this prophecy would be um, or what it would look like. And in fact, even when Jesus came to earth, a lot of people didn't realize that he was the promised Messiah. Hope is a constant theme of the prophetic writings in the Old Testament, so it clearly matters. And we know in our own hearts that it's important, but why and and what is hope? Well, let's look first. I want to share with you worldly hope. So Merriam-Webster defines hope as to cherish a desire with anticipation to want something to happen or be true. Hope is something so important to the human lived experience that there are many psychological studies and theories on it, um, is what you find in the secular world. And, And what's common amongst a lot of those studies is that they find a relationship, a correlation between the level of hopefulness of a person and their physical and mental health that the level of hopefulness is impacted upon by external factors, such as support network. 
And although the concept of hope can be complex, depending on how people define it, what is clear from these studies and, and theories is that hope is something fundamental to us as human beings. It's important to us. Consciously or subconsciously, we seek it, we need it, and we suffer without it. Now, I want to share with you one of these studies in particular um, that was done by Heath, and it was a study of um, terminally ill people, and they wanted to find out what made them hopeful. So they identified factors which made, kind of fostered more hope in a person, and factors which kind of hindered hope, took it away. And, um, I mean, have a quick look kind of over these. And I don't know what you notice, but what I notice from all these factors is that they're all of this life. Apart from maybe spiritual base, depending on what your spiritual base is, all these things are of this world and are kind of, a lot of them are within your control. Like you could make some more friends or set some attainable goals to increase your hope. Um, but, but what happens if you are actually abandoned and you feel abandoned? What happens if you are in uncontrollable pain? Suddenly these things of this world suddenly aren't in your control. How do you feel hopeful then? The world defines hope as something you can obtain and generate in this life. But the Bible defines hope very differently. For people who don't have Christ, all they have is what they can generate in this world. And we could kind of call it, is it going to come? There we go. Like a hope by works. That's what this world offers. And the downside about trying to achieve anything by works is that not everything is within your control. You can have the illusion that things are in your control and then you find out one day that actually they're not and then everything falls apart. That's the downside of, of works. Ultimately, what you have is a kind of facade of hope that eventually fades. And had God not given the Old Testament believers a, a hope, this is probably where they would have ended up, going around trying to see what kind of things of the world could make them feel more hopeful, and it would have led them nowhere good. Biblical hope is different. So let's look at biblical hope. So like God's people who were recipients of Isaiah's prophecy at the time um, that he was talking to, you know, we actually have a lot of similarities with the issues that they were facing at the time. We have issues with effective government, leadership, allegations against our leaders, issues with their character, power struggles. We live in an uneasy world um, where there is war, where there's threat posed by other countries. We have economic issues. We have the cost of living crisis um, starting to bite. And we have other gods and idols. Not other gods, but idols, basically. Uh, on offer from our friends and neighbours. So we're not in too much of a different situation um, than, the, than God's people who um, Isaiah was originally talking to. 
We need a promise of something to hope for, something more than what this world can offer us, or even what Jesus can do for us during this life. What are we hoping for? Are we hoping, you know, what are we hoping for when we see injustice in this world, when loved ones are sick, when life is unimaginably hard? What are we hoping for? We stand on the other side of the prophecy of that prophetic word, that prophecy, where Jesus died on the cross. So we are living with the Holy Spirit living within us. We're in kind of a step forward, I guess, from from where God's people were living in the Old Testament. But we are still hoping for more. We are hoping for Jesus to return. Uh, oh. That's surprising. Never mind. Oh, look, there we go. Thank you, Jenny. <laughs> so, biblical hope. So, Romans 8, 22-25 says, I can find it. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So we as Christians living after the first coming of Christ are awaiting the second coming. This life is not all there is. In fact, this life here is just a very small snippet of your entire life because then you've got eternity after that. Let me um, demonstrate with my diagram that you got a sneak preview of. I don't know if it's a bit small, but I've attempted a crude diagram to show us or kind of demonstrate where we are at. Um, some of you who have maybe done a bit more theological training may feel my, di- my diagram is inadequate. But um, I've gone for what we can this morning. So over on the left, we've got the creation of this world. God creates the world. Shortly afterwards, sin enters through um, Adam and Eve. So we have this kind of yellow line. So we have sin in the world, sin reigning in the world. In the middle, we've got Jesus' first coming and resurrection. And this is where Jesus establishes his kingdom on earth. And we see through the green line, we see Jesus' kingdom on earth established. But we also see this yellow dotty line, which is sin is still reigning on this earth as well. So we kind of live in this world where both things are happening at the same time. We can taste bits of God's kingdom and experience some of God's kingdom, but we still find ourselves sinning every now and again, even though we're saved. I don't sin very much, but, you know, every now and again. I'm joking. But um, it's really minute-by-minute basis. (laughs) So... um, So we live kind of in this time where these two kingdoms are operating. So when Jesus returns, when he with his second coming, sin and and death and Satan will be dealt with completely, and 
that reign will end and we will continue living for eternity with Jesus. So we are waiting for this time. You know, when the verses say um, about... um, Can we go back, Jenny, to the verse before? That's it. So where it says, we groan inwardly, eagerly waiting for our adoption to sonship, is not that we haven't been adopted. We've been adopted as children of God. But there is this kind of fuller fulfillment to come when we will enjoy a closer relationship with God because sin and death and Satan will be completely purged, completely removed, and we won't experience that affecting us anymore. It won't be impinging on our relationship with God. We will know complete closeness and intimacy with our God. So there is more to come. And we get frustrated when we, when, when we do sin and we're like, oh, oh, we've done it again, that thing that I said I wouldn't do and now I'm going to have to apologize again. And why do I keep doing that? You know, sin interrupts and affects our relationships and it does so in our relationship with God as well. But there is a perfect relationship with God to come and we groan inwardly and we wait patiently for that to come. Jesus is coming back. That's uh, fine. I've gone ahead of my notes now, and I've got to find where I've got to. So, Revelation. Uh, oh, yes, this was. No, let's skip that. Revelation. Revelation says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. We have got a glorious life with Jesus, with no more pain, no more suffering. Everything that we experience in this world that we think, oh, why does that happen? Why does that injustice there? Why is that suffering there? Why has this happened to me? Why does this not feel good? All of that will be gone. That is what we are looking forward to, an eternity in perfect relationship, close with our God knowing more intimacy, more completeness, and more fulfillment than we have ever known before. And it can be easy to read these verses and go, oh, that's nice, that's nice, I'll look forward to that. But it's, you know, we have, we have to actually kind of grasp hold of this. And we do that by looking at Jesus So we should go back. So just to compare where we've got to, worldly hope, hope by works. Biblical hope is hope by grace, a free gift. Jesus offers this free gift to be forgiven, to be reconciled to God, to have this hope of eternal life with him, hope for a better life with him for eternity. So why do we need a correct, correct, you know, a biblical understanding of hope? 
Well, it's important because I think even as Christians, we can find ourselves cherishing the wrong kind of hope. And there may be hope for good things, uh, maybe nothing wrong with what we're hoping for, but it's that cherishing. It, because it, because it, it nudges Jesus off the throne of our lives. I wanted to share with you um, my testimony. When, um, when Andy and I first got married, it was like a new phase of life. And with any new phase of life, you find yourself kind of looking around at what comes with that phase of life. We just got married, so things like buying a house or having kids um, and, and your career were all things that were kind of important at that time. A lot of people around us at the same stage that we were, were looking at achieving the same things. And I started to begin to cherish those things. But the problem was, is that there was a lot of obstacles in my life to those things at that time. So in terms of my career, I'd reached a point where I'd been burnt out and, um, and signed off and eventually decided to leave my job for a period of time. Um, so I wasn't working. So in terms of achieving in my career, there, there was an obstacle to doing that. In terms of buying a house, um, Andy and I didn't have much money, and only Andy was working, and he kept... He, throughout our lives, he kept getting made redundant. I was, <laughs> couldn't keep a job to save his life. So now he works for himself. But, um, <laughs> but so, so Andy wasn't earning much money, so there was no way we could save up a house deposit. I mean, it's even worse now, but back then, 14, 13, 14 years ago, you couldn't save up a house deposit, so I felt like there was an obstacle there to us buying our own house. And in terms of having a family, people around us were starting to have babies, and although I wanted that, I wasn't ready, and I just couldn't get myself to that place to make myself ready. So I just felt like in every area of my life, there was an obstacle. And the downside of that is that you start, it starts to get you down. You start to actually feel a bit of depression, despair. You can't achieve those things that you think are going to make you happy and complete your life. And... And it starts to really get you down. You start to really feel low. And I remember feeling really low. And it was hard to be happy for other people when they achieve those things. When you feel so sad yourself about where you are with stuff. And, um, and I remember one day, um, I got the words hope deferred in my head. And I knew it was in the Bible somewhere. So I, I used Google because I didn't know where. <laughs> and uh, I found it. And it says, um, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I was like, oh, yes. Yes, God, that is exactly how I feel. My heart is sick. Yes, that, that, is, that is how I feel. And the second part of that verse says, but a longing fulfilled is the tree of life. And that's talking about Jesus. Jesus who came and hung on a tree and died for you and me so that we could have the best kind of hope that there is, a hope that will lift you out of every situation. I needed to fix my eyes 
on Jesus. I needed to turn and look at him. There's verses in Matthew where it says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Our primary focus needs to be on Jesus, hoping in anything else, even if you are saved and a believer, is not going to lead anywhere good. Our hope has to be on Jesus. And I had to repent of putting other things in Jesus' place in my life and put him back there as my ultimate hope. You know, it takes us off course when our eyes are off of Jesus and you end up downhearted and in bondage, chasing after the wrong things, hopeless in life and ineffective in God's kingdom. And there might even, you know, some of you might identify maybe with what I was talking about and going, yeah, actually, I feel a bit like that. And, you know, we can deal with that today because I think God is in this. For the past two weeks, he's been bringing contributions about hope. I don't know if you remember any of them. Um, But I kept quivering, going, whoa, hang on, that's my preach. Don't bring that contribution. (laughs) I haven't preached yet. And then today, fix your eyes on Jesus. God really wants to get this into our hearts. I felt this kind of burden from him, this fatherly concern, this fatherly love for his children, that we know him as our ultimate hope. And lastly, I want to kind of look at maybe three ways that that can kind of block us or be obstacles to us in terms of holding on to this hope. You know, 1 Peter talks about us being foreigners. We are foreigners in this world. It is not our home. Our home is in eternity with Christ. We are foreigners here. And sometimes we can forget that we're foreigners. Let me just go on. Oh, there you go. There's the verses. Firstly, distraction of this life. I think some of us, we can, we can be too comfortable. We can be comfortable in this world. You know, we've got everything that we need. There's nothing really too tricky going on. And we don't feel the need to remind ourselves of the hope of Jesus' return. And the danger with that is that we can kind of get lukewarm in our faith. We might be hindered in our witness for Christ because we're just too comfortable, just too comfortable with this life. But eventually, everything in this life will give way to decay, and everything can be taken from us. And God might allow us to go through a shaking um, to show us where we're beginning to hold on to things of this world. The next category, kind of called longing for this life, So instead of being comfortable, which is like a passive position with this life, we can find ourselves too invested, too consumed by the things of this world. You know, it's good to be passionate. It's good to fight for injustice, you know, for for issues of climate and, um, and for equality and things like that. It can be good to be involved in those things, but they can't be our ultimate hope. Our ultimate hope can't be in achieving these things in this life because perfection is only going to come when Jesus returns. And lastly, I've kind of called it forgetting the next life um, or a purposeful forgetting. Now, I don't like change, I have to say, and um, I can kind of see in, in a way this thing in me sometimes where I'm like, but I know this life. 
It's, it's not perfect, but I know this one, and I don't know what the next one's going to be like. So I'd just like to stay here. <laughs> Dying's not appealing. And, um, yeah, and I don't know what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. So I'd just like to stay here, if that's okay, because I know what's going on here. And there can be this thing where we, we just feel willing to settle for the half happiness, not even half, the fraction of happiness that we can find here, we can be willing to settle for that instead of the complete fulfillment and perfection and joy that we can get with Jesus. And, it, you know, it's really hard. It's really challenging. There might be things that we're waiting for in this life. There might be things that we want to see. You know, you have maybe children and you want to see them do things. And you're like, no, Jesus, don't come back yet because I want to see them get married. And, um, and we can find ourselves kind of wanting to forget the next life because we've got things that's going on here. And all these things can be obstacles to us. Um, But I always just think, you know, these moments on this earth, in this life, where you get glimpses of goodness, you get moments where you feel God's presence and it's amazing, you get all those good things, those kind of good things that you experience. I always kind of think to myself, do you know what, that's going to be nothing compared to what we will experience in eternity. And actually, the best way to do it is, is, is to focus on Jesus and what he's like. Um, I, have a, I brought up a, a flashed up a verse, um, which I didn't speak about, which said, if, only, if, if our hope in Christ is only for this life, then we are, of all people, most to be pitied. You know, Jesus is at work in our lives on this earth. He can give us hope in situations and help us to overcome. We can be victorious in him. But ultimately, the hope we are holding on to and waiting for is eternity with Jesus. Can I get the band to come up as um, I'm just going to conclude? You know, we saw the difficulties that God's people of the Old Testament were, were facing were much like our own. And if we're going to persevere through the trials and challenges of this life, then we too need to hold on to true hope. Otherwise, our hearts will become sick as the things of this life fall away and God shakes the idols of this world, like money and comfortable lives. Any hope we have in these things disintegrates. And like I say, I really felt God's concern for us in hoping in the right things, Um, leading up to today and I just I really feel like if you felt him kind of nudging your heart today he's wanting to do things in you he's wanting to empower you he's wanting to show you his love and his joy for you to know more of him we need a biblical understanding of hope that will endure and carry us through the trials of this life And that starts by lifting our eyes to gaze upon the one who it is all about, Jesus Christ, the lover of our souls. As we focus on him, he fills us with his hope and love. And Isaiah pointed God's people towards Jesus and what he was like when giving them hope. Wonderful counsellor, mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Any hope 
offer from this world fades into insignificance next to the majesty of our Lord. And I want us to respond. You know, I think there is something, there is something significant in responding to when you feel God is nudging your heart. If you come forward for prayer, there's a cost. There's a cost to you in doing that, and it's a cost to your pride. But, you know, God lifts up the humble. If you, when you come forward and you respond, God does something in that. There is a significance in that. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you felt a stirring or a nudging in any way, either related to the preach or anything else, come forward, get prayer, God is here and he is ready to do amazing things in your life. He's ready to change things. He's ready to start a new thing in you. So come forward. Make time to do that. I just want to pray for us and then I'll hand over to Toby. Lord, I just pray. I pray for all of us here, Lord God, that we would know you as our ultimate hope. Lord, we just bring before you this morning any way in which we have been hoping in the things of this world. And it's, it can be painful to let go of some of those things and to say that we're going to put you first, Jesus, and, and that our ultimate hope is in you. But we just look at you, at your majesty, at your glory at your love at your compassion at your mercy knowing that you can meet every single one of our needs how they have never been met before and we just want to recommit our lives to you this morning Lord God pray Holy Spirit just come this morning and fill our hearts Lord whatever we need here this morning however however our hearts are, please meet with us this morning. Thank you that you are here and that you are working already in our midst. Amen.